So I start a new series tonight on the Tabernacle of David, and I'd like us to go there and begin to examine what this is all about. There's a deep mystery uh, about Tabernacle and about the abiding presence of God and what he's done for us. So uh, you should have an outline. If you don't, raise your hand. We'll get you an outline. There's two up front here, if you could. Eric, thank you. All right. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we have prepared our heart as we've worshipped you. We sing songs together that, Lord, as a people, we look to you, set our gaze towards you, our focus on you, forget about the things of the day, Lord God, and look into eternity, look into the spiritual depth of who you are and what you are making us become. And so help us to understand, Lord, these deep mysteries of this tabernacle of David. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, those two over there. All right, so let's first of all start with, with a word translated in uh, Greek as tabernacle. It's sukkah in the Hebrew, and the word sukkah, what is a sukkah? What is a tabernacle? And uh, does anybody got an idea of what a tabernacle is? It's a, uh, it's a house. I live in a house. A place of worship. All right, what else? A booth, yeah, that would be a, a closer translation. It's portable. Uh, it's, it's a booth that is uh, maybe a tent is the idea of a tabernacle. Okay, it's portable and it moves. And uh, uh, so God established the tabernacle. One of the first tabernacles we know about is uh, uh, the tabernacle of Moses. So the concept behind a tabernacle is a house, is a dwelling place, is a place where, in fact, God wants to abide with his people. Did you know the Garden of Eden was basically a tabernacle? It was established for God's presence to dwell on earth with Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden. But they fell, and they broke fellowship with God, and they got kicked out of the tabernacle uh, because they couldn't dwell in that holy place with God. And so there was a curtain put there. That was an angel with a fiery sword that they couldn't pass through. And then we see uh, throughout time in history that God develops a people, a nation. He incubates Israel in Egypt and brings them out. They went in as a family. He brought them out as a nation. And so as he brings them out as a nation, they're at Mount Sinai and they're getting the Ten Commandments and God's declaring them as his covenant people. And he says, I want you to go take the promised land that was given to Abraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob, your forefathers, and you're going to go take that land, and I'll send an angel to go before you. And Moses said, this, no deal. If you don't go, we ain't going. we got to have you. We need your presence. And so God established a way for his presence to be with Israel, and he instructed Moses on that mount for 40 days, 40 nights, on how to build the tabernacle. And so that's the first tabernacle we're going to look at. And the reason that tabernacle is there is so that God would dwell with his people. It's always God's heart to dwell with his people. There shouldn't be a separation from us in God. He wants to inhabit, habitate. That's why there's a tent there. So he could dwell with his people and be in the center of the nation. And that they would be with him and he would be with them. All right, But there's a problem. They're a sinful people. So God develops this tabernacle so that he could abide there, but then he's got to establish a whole sacrificial system to atone for their sin so that a holy God can be in the presence of a sinful people. Okay? And so God works this system out to atone for our failures so that he could still stay close to us and still stay connected to them. So check out this in Exodus 33. Verse 15, Moses says this to God, If your presence does not go with us, Moses replied, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that your people and I have found favor in your sight unless you go with us? How else will we be distinguished from all other people on the face of the earth? And so God said, all right, I'm going to go with you. So you're going to build a, a tabernacle. You're going to build a dwelling place for me. And I picked this guy out, Bezalel. He's going to construct it. He's going to build it. And you have to be very specific to these design measurements that I give you. Why? Well, look at the next scripture I give you on your outline, Hebrews 8, 5. It says this, 
They, Israel, serve a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Why? It's a representation of the throne room of heaven. Imagine that. God's saying, I want you to decorate this place like heaven. It's going to be a, a copy, a physical representation of my throne room. So you're going to have a cherubim all around the curtains, the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. You're going to have incense that is before God at all times. You're going to have lights that never go out. You're going to have the bread, the manna, the food that is your sustenance. And most of all, my glory is going to be there. So it's so cool. So they finish the tabernacle. They build it very carefully to the plans. Can you imagine getting the download of the plans? That you know, that, I mean, to specific measurements. I want you to build this table this big, this high, this wide, gild it with gold so it reflects the glory. And then God comes in his spirit and the Shekinah cloud, the Shekinah, Hebrew word Shekinah, which means kabad, the weight of his glory, comes and manifests right over this tent so that everybody knows God's in the house. All right, it's not vacant. God's there. And in the center piece of that entire thing in the holy of holies is the ark of the covenant in other words my word god said i made an agreement with you these 10 commandments if you will keep them and i keep them with you we will be a covenant people all that's mine is yours all that's yours is mine your decisions are my decisions my decisions are your decisions i mean you got to understand covenant we're married god said i'm married to you and so keep the ark of that covenant and so they put the Ten Commandments in there. They put the manna in there. They put Aaron's rod in there, right? They put all sorts of stuff in there. And it represented the testimony that God's with them. And, of course, you, you, you couldn't miss it because there was this big pillar, this big high pillar cloud during the day. At night, it turned into a pillar of fire. Man, you didn't have to worry about a bug zapper. This thing was just like, this was burning. Could you imagine that at night? couldn't sleep you wake up you kind of roll over and you just see this glowing presence of God and here's the thing this is why the tabernacle needed to be a tent because when God decided to move it was time to move so then all the priests were established to fold up the temple furniture and the tabernacle and everything and pack it all up and carry it wherever God was going to lead the people we're supposed to be a God-led people when God moves we follow Right? Well, I, I hate that bumper sticker or that license plate that says, God is my co-pilot. I ain't getting in the car with you. <laughs> God should be our pilot. God's the driver of this thing. Right? If God's not your driver in life, you, you expect God to get a trailer hitch and follow you. It's not going to work. All right? So God would move, and they would move with God. And that's the tabernacle. And so... God made it so that he would move towards the promised land. Once they got into the promised land, he was going to dwell there and be their dwelling place, be the center of it. Okay, so fast forward now, and we have a bunch of different judges throughout the history of Israel. They get into the promised land, and uh, they keep, after Moses comes Joshua, and after Joshua comes the judges, and uh, it's messed up. Nobody pays attention to the house of God. Then comes Samuel. Samuel comes along, but the people want a king. So they get Saul. They pick Saul because they want a king. God says, it's not time for a king. You shouldn't have a king yet. They said, we want a king. He said, all right, I'll give you a king. Tall, dark, and handsome. And not too bright. And so they gave him King Saul, and Saul really messes up. And uh, God pulls his presence away from Saul but there's a guy that God had been waiting for, and his name's David. And he's this young guy who's just out tending sheep. The reason God was waiting is because there had to be ten generations before David could come on the throne. Because his ancestor, great ancestor, was uh, birthed out of uh, Rahab and, and uh, Judah. Judah had uh, messed around. All right. And uh, Tamar, sorry, Tamar, messed around with Tamar, gave birth, and there's a curse on that line for ten generations. The tenth generation is David. He is now ready and able to be installed as king. So God wanted 
a king over Israel, but he was waiting for the king he needed. And so then he gets Samuel to anoint David, and David recognizes something. David knows that the kingdom split up. It's all it's disseminated. It's, it's fractured. There's no unity. There's no glory, and it's just one mess after another. And he's got a heart after God, and he realizes we have got to get the presence of God back in the house. Does that make sense? Don't you think the church could uh, maybe like get back to this? Couldn't we get God back in the house? Right? We're just in so many fractured ways, so many fractured doctrines, so many fractured ideas. You know what? When you're in the presence of God, all your ideologies and theologies fade away to his glory. Everything all of a sudden gets uh, corrected in his presence. There's no man that can glory in his sight. We're all falling before his presence. We all get readjusted with God. How many of you know that? Right? So David understood that. And so David said, I want to bring God to the center of the nation. He's trying to pull together the northern tribes and the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And he says he's going to bring God back into the house, God back into the center, and to unite the nation around the presence of God. That's his heart. Now look at this. Let me read to you 1 Chronicles on your outline 13. Verses 2 and 3. Let us bring the ark of God back to us, for we did not inquire it of it during the reign of Saul. That's pretty bad. Do you remember Saul, the, the, the relationship Saul had with God disintegrated in such a way that he ended up killing the priests of God and the ark was stolen by the Philistines to where a place where all Saul was doing was he had to go to a witch to figure out what he should do. That's messed up. Right? And they didn't attend to the things of God. Well, the ark made its way back, but it, it was in uh, uh, some guy's house in the meantime. And so while it was in uh, Abinadab's house, it, you know, just sitting there, David says, man, this is messed up. God, God promised to be in the center of us, and, and we're not inviting him in. We've ignored the things of God. And all of this can translate to where the church is. right? We've ignored the very presence of God's Holy Spirit for, for our doctrines and for our fellowship and for our getting together. But we should be centered around the presence of God. And that was David's heart. 1 Samuel 7.1 They took it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eliezer, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. There the ark remained throughout the judgeship of Samuel and the reign of Saul. No sacrifices. No, the king did not go and inquire of the Lord. The high priest did not minister before the ark of the covenant. It just stayed in some guy's attic. How many Bibles are on people's coffee tables? I got saved back in 75. And I read a devotion every morning. Come on, we need a living presence of God in our midst, amen? A burning presence of God, an active presence of God that when he moves, we move. We're so in tune with him. And David had that heart for that. He was burning and he recognized, I've got to get God back in the center of this nation. If there's anything I could preach for this, this nation, it's getting God back in the center of this nation and looking back. Now, look at. Uh, some of us might think that uh, the United States, I'll go on a tangent for a minute, that the United States was this glorious, amazing nation. It is fantastic, but it never reached its potential, okay? Because many of us want to go back to the glory days, and for a lot of people in this nation, there were no glory days back then. <laughs> they were in slavery, and they were, they were beaten down. They're, you know what I mean? So I just don't think we've reached the full potential of what this nation could be. That's what we're headed for. Let's not go, I want to get in America back to what it used to be. Let's get it to where it should be, based on those founding documents. Amen? All right, so enough of America. Let's move on. This is the answer for America. So David prepared a tabernacle, a tent, a place, a dwelling. And listen to his heart. This is the heart that we're going to study for the next number of weeks, to have this heart for the presence of God. Psalm 132. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured. How he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed 
I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. I'm not going to attend to my needs and I'm not going to find comfort or rest till first of all, I get my life in order. Until I get this nation in order with God. How many of us need to pray that prayer for this temple, for this tabernacle here that is your body, that is your life, that, that you're restless till you know the presence of God is in your heart and sitting right as Lord and King of your heart. Amen? We, we, we can't rest on living one foot in the world and one foot in, in, in the church. We can't be religious people. We can't be Sunday Christians. We can't rest till God is on the throne of our hearts. Amen? And that's David, his passion. Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now you've got to understand something. There was no temple. This thing was dismantled. It was the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant was at Abinadab's house. The rest of Moses' tabernacle was down in Gibeah. And, and the priesthood was just scattered all around. And he's saying, we've got to get this in order. We've got to get the presence of God back. I can't rest till it happens. And my longing is to sit in the temple of God, the tabernacle of God, and look and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. What was he looking at? What was that beauty? I mean, it was his presence. It was the glory of God in his presence. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome to gather together as the people, whether it's in this building or under a tree or anywhere ever, where we would gather together and instead of looking at me or some guy talking or some preacher, the presence of God just radiated and just ministered. You know what he'd be doing? He'd be ministering into the depths of our soul, ministering. That's why we spend time in worship. That's why we come and we sing. And we just take the time to just be in this presence of God because it's at this time that the presence of the Holy Spirit is convicting, challenging, ministering, healing, bringing restoration, bringing promise, bringing hope. That's abiding in the presence. And you know what? You can sit in it and miss it completely. Because you've got to get that temple, that tabernacle right with him and have him in it. So that's what he longs for. That's David's heart. So here's the thing. This is a un wonderful story. I'm not going to get into it. I can, it's just a blast. What a wonderful story. So David goes down to Abinadab's, and he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, right? City of Peace, Jerusalem. And he puts a tent up, and he's going to bring just the Ark of the Covenant into this tent. Now, according to the law of Moses, this Ark should be in the Holy of Holies behind the curtain where there's the Holy Priest place for the priests and the outer courts for sacrifice but David is bypassing all of that it's a dispensation under David's reign that he would bring the ark into the presence of all the people it's unheard of it's extravagant it's reckless if we could say it that God would bring his presence out into the open you know how many years David reigned 33 years for 33 years, the presence of God was out in the open to the people of God. And so he built this tent, and he said, I've got to have the presence. And he goes down to get the Ark of the Covenant. Now, again, long story, cool story, amazing stuff. They, they get an ox cart, and they, they put it on an ox cart because that's how they received it back from the Philistines when they had stolen it. And uh, they built a new ox cart, and it's like, that's not how... You handle the presence of God. You can have all the zeal in the world, but if you forsake understanding the holiness of God, there's a way to approach God. God is a holy, mighty God, okay? And we all want to make him our buddy, our pal, and, you know, we can just, the big guy upstairs, and, you know, he's just all this, and he's my pal, and he's my buddy. Don't forget who he is. And so David does that. He has a parade. He's all excited. The cart begins to wobble and fall, and Uzzah, who is a Kohathite, uh, holds on to the ark so it doesn't fall into the dirt, and zap, he's dead. Now that sounds harsh for Uzzah, 
Being a Kohathite, he studied 30 years to know how to move temple furniture, but he forsook all that to do what he wanted to do. Although it was, you know, maybe to protect the ark, he, a sinful man, touched the presence of God. So they leave it off at uh, Obed-Edom's house, another whole story. And then finally David goes back. They study the word of God to know how to approach God. Right? That's why we study the word of God, so we understand his character and nature. Then they go back and they bring it properly. Again, I could spend a long time there. So they bring it into the presence, and now the tabernacle of David has the Ark of the Covenant in the open for 33 years during his reign for all the people to see and to worship God and to witness his glory. And the Shekinah cloud comes and it brings the nation together. The nation increases, it blesses, the, the, they unite as one major nation now and David's winning all the battles. But he's got one heart's cry. He wants to build a permanent tabernacle. For the place of God. First Chronicles 16.4 Then he appointed the, the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. He didn't get the Levites to offer sin sacrifices, thanksgiving offerings. He didn't have the animal sacrifices going on. That was down in Gibeah. What was he doing? He said, in the presence of God, all I want you to do is give thanksgiving and praise to God and honor to who he is. That's the heart of David, to have grateful hearts and to worship God in his presence and in his glory. First Chronicles 23, for David said, The Lord, the God of Israel, has given rest to his people. He dwells in Jerusalem forever. And so the Levites no longer need to carry the tabernacle or any of the things for its service. This thing ain't moving again. That's why he wanted to build now a temple that was immovable. God said, Jerusalem is my city from here on out and into eternity. This is the hub of where I'm going to be. And David knew that, and David worshipped that, and David exalted that, and God blessed Israel. And now God's presence was in it. Look, at when you extol the virtues of God, when you uh, put Christ as head, when you put praise to God above everything else, the rest of your life has to get in order. The rest of your life has to get in order. When I set God before everything, then my finance is based on what God wants me to spend money on. And what God wants, what relationship I should be in with other people is based on whether I'm honoring God in that relationship. How I act at work, how I behave with my time. How much do I sleep? How much do I rise? How much do I do? Whatever I do, I do as unto the Lord. And everything else gets in order. So when the presence of God is seated on the throne of your heart, everything else begins to shape up. And that's what happened for David. Now David's excited in night times. God is giving David's vision, David visions and dreams. And like Moses got all the, the measurements and everything for the tabernacle of Moses, David is getting a download from God on how to build this temple. Isn't that awesome? It's going to be this tall, it's going to be that big, this and that. But you can't build it, David, because your hands have blood. You're a man of war. But I'm going to have your son build this temple. And I give a promise to you and to your son that your descendants shall always be on this throne and all the nations will be blessed. Isn't that the promise of Abraham through Moses now unto David? And David's throne is established and now to the seed of Abraham this throne's going to last. There's only one problem. Solomon didn't follow through, did he? Solomon did not follow through. Let me read to you 1 Kings 11. This is, this is sad. Now, this is what gets me. What was Solomon's gift that he prayed for? Wisdom. Solomon was known to be the wisest man that ever lived. Where, what was his downfall? Women. Were, let, let's rephrase that. Were women Solomon's downfall? So it was all the women's fault. No, it was his fault. It was lust. You can have all the smarts up here, but if you can't control other areas of your life, right? There's your downfall. Brilliant man. Obviously, 
some deep-seated problems. Now, King Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 11, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Did the smart guy listen? No, he didn't. He was attracted by all these beautiful, amazing women. And so he gave up following God to get the women. 700 wives, 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. Now look at David had a woman problem too. How many of you know that? Right? He really did. Uh, I think David didn't have a good family life growing up. Uh, many believe that possibly uh, there was some kind of a problem uh, in the home of David between him and his brothers because there was a real issue between the brothers. When, when Samuel called uh, for David's father, Jesse, to bring all his sons, he left one of them out. Why is this guy left in the field? I asked you to bring all your sons, and why is this one not? And, and when David comes to bring food to his brothers while they're in the army, they hate his guts, they don't like him. There's something going on with this guy David. And Hebrew literature says quite possibly that there was an affair or some kind of issue. Not that he was um, uh, a bastard child, but some, some problem with his relationship. Well, anyways, it created a real problem for him. His relationship with women didn't go well. The ones he picked and how he went about having wives and so forth and, and, and all that. But did his wives turn him from God? No. In, fi in fact, he gave up on a couple wives <laughs> because they uh, were embarrassed about his relationship with God. So the difference with David is not that, uh, look, at there's sin that everybody has to deal with, but David had a heart after God. He hungered after God. And so the women didn't steer him from God. Solomon, not so much. Solomon went after the women instead of God and replaced God. Now that's religion. For when Solomon had old... Uh, was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord uh, as the heart of David, his father. Solomon went after, get this, Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of Sidonians, that's Veshtar, Ishtar, uh, Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord like David, his father. He even built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and get this, for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites. That's the ones that you sacrifice children to, Molech. How far could the smart man get away from God? What happened? So you see, our faith in God isn't so much about our IQ, it's about our devotion to the true living God. Solomon had the privilege to build what David hungered and longed and thirsted for just to abide in this glorious place. I mean, when you read the description of the temple of Solomon, it's, it blows your mind the amount of gold and beauty. They say when the sun came up and lit up that alabaster, that white temple and the, the gold pillars and the bronze, it, it, it was blinding, it was amazing. But to Solomon, it was furniture. Instead of the very glory of God. You know, church, for many people, is furniture. Come on. We've got to find that glory again. Amen? And so, the tabernacle of David was more than just... You see, there was nothing grand in it except God himself. It was a tent and Moses' ark. David didn't bring anything to the decoration of this thing except to be in the presence of God. That's the tabernacle of David. That the presence of God is the most important thing. Now, all of that's background. Okay? And it brings us now to the mystery of David's tabernacle. David, uh, Solomon 
did not follow after the Lord, so the consideration of the tabernacle of David now has collapsed. It's in ruins. The line uh, after Solomon, uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam split the kingdoms again, and the, the kings are doing evil in the sight of God. The ten northern tribes don't even come back to Jerusalem anymore. So, so the presence of God is just not there and departed, and the tabernacle of David is in ruins. And so, fast forward to Acts chapter 15. Messiah Jesus comes, preaches the gospel, dies on the cross for our sins, atones for sin, is dead and buried. After three days, he rises from the dead. He ascends into heaven, and he pours out his Holy Spirit. It says in John chapter 1 that the word became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. Look that word up in the Greek. Dwelt among us. Do you know what the word for dwelt among us is? Tabernacled. Or in Hebrew, Sukkot. He tabernacled among us. Jesus was the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the treasure of all wisdom and knowledge of God. All right? And so Jesus is holding the very presence of God. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so the presence of God tabernacles among men for how many years? 33 years. Just like the uh, tabernacle of David. But in reality, it was all showing us the reality that God became man and God dwelt or tabernacled among us. And he called people unto himself and he brought cleansing. He is the altar of sacrifice. He is the lamb. He is the high priest. He's everything that that whole system enveloped was a picture of Jesus. He came. He was all of that. He cleansed us of our sin. He ascended and now operates as high priest over his church, his people, and he released the the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, as the Holy Spirit, the glory of God, is released, it comes to inhabit a new tabernacle. That's us. You are now the tabernacle of God. You're the abiding presence of the glory of God. The first thing that happened when the Spirit of God came on them, tongues of fire, they bust out of an upper room and they run into the streets. And what do they do? They worship. They worship. They extol the virtues of God. It says they start crying out and declaring the good works of God. Somebody tell me what the greatest work of God was. The cross of Jesus Christ. I know they talked about Jesus. Because the first thing Peter did once he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he says, you who crucified the Lord God. He calls him out. So this is awesome. And so this is the tabernacle of David when when the presence of God fills the tabernacle. That pillar by day, that fire by night is in you. You're this tabernacle. And so this is amazing. It's beyond what the apostles understood. So they go preaching and Jews and Levites and Pharisees get saved and people are getting saved. It's awesome. It's amazing. And then all of a sudden Peter goes to some Italian guy's house And all of a sudden, they get filled with the Spirit, and he's going, what is this? Right? Paul gets saved, and Paul starts going around, and Gentiles are getting saved. And so they said, we need to have a meeting. We don't understand what's going on. So they go to Jerusalem. They have a big meeting together, and Paul tells them all about what him and Barnabas saw. Gentiles are getting saved. How do you know? They're speaking in tongues. They're filled with the Spirit. I see it. They're baptized in Jesus' name. They're trusting in him. Well, I don't know about that. Should they be circumcised? I mean, that's how you get saved. Peter stands up, look, I had the same thing happen to me. I was in Cornelius' house. I was preaching. I really didn't preach that good. Didn't even want to be there. And the Spirit came on them and preached, and they got filled with the Spirit. They're speaking in the tongues of evidence that the Spirit of God is in them, just like with us. What are we going to do about this? What are we? I don't know. This is amazing. This is awesome. We need wisdom from above. And James says, everybody sit down. James, the brother of Jesus. Interesting that the apostles yielded to Pastor James, the head of the church in Jerusalem. And he stands up and he gets a word from God and he says this in Acts chapter 15, verse 15. 
The words of the prophets agree completely with this. All right, if God's going to do something, he will never do something that is opposed to his word, something that's contrary to the word of God. James recognizes that. He remembers the prophecies. The Spirit of God stirs it up. And he remembers Amos chapter 9, verses 11 to 12. And he quotes them for everybody. He says this, as Amos 9, verses 11 to 12 says, After this I will return, says the Lord, and restore the kingdom of David. The better translation is the tabernacle of David, the tent of David. I will rebuild its ruins and make it strong again. So all the rest of the human race or all the nations will come to me, all the Gentiles whom I have called to me to be my own, says the Lord, who made this known long ago. He says, I will restore the fallen tabernacle of David. So what is this tabernacle of David? It is the restoration this church age. It is God's glory in the open presence for all people to be invited in to the kingdom of God. And now you are that tabernacle. You are that tabernacle of David. We as Gentiles, he made one new man, Jews and Gentiles, into one new man. Those who are born again, born of the Spirit, and we are now the temple of the living God. And so what we're going to study then is, how do I behave as a temple of God? How do I live out, based on the pattern of the tabernacle of David, how do I live a life that is full and anointed with the abiding presence of God? So that when you walk into the room, the atmosphere changes. What you pray for and what you set your mind to in heaven, the will of heaven is now executed into the will of earth. Because you are there 24-7 in the presence of God. Well, pastor, i got to go to work, and then I do sleep. You're that temple. You're that presence. The Spirit of God never slumbers, never sleeps. He's in you. He's alive in you. We have got to catch up with what's going on here. He's constantly interceding on our behalf. He's constantly praying. So, folks, we have got to perpetually walk in that place of the tabernacle of David and understand what it meant and how effective it was for the kingdom of God during David's reign. Well, now we've got the son of David, Jesus, who literally is not in a replica of heaven, but is in fact in the heavenlies. And we are seated with him. So that whole thing with David was just a picture. I don't want to be like the tabernacle of David. That tabernacle of David was like me. You see the difference? So we're not going to try and imitate the imitation. We get that a lot. A lot of people think, well, Tabernacle of David, it's all about the way we worship. Let's bring Hebrew worship back. We'll dance like the Hebrews. We don't even know how Hebrews dance. (laughs) And we'll use a lot of Jewish words. Probably not even the same Jewish that they spoke back then. I mean, in all reality. I mean, it's cool. It's great. You know, we'll wave Hebrew flags. and That's not it. I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying that is not what God had looked for. Let's all pretend we're Jewish. That's not it. Now we can find our Hebrew roots. I understand all that and get into the depth. You know, you understand Judaism. You'll understand salvation. Judaism came. I mean, salvation came through the Jews. Get it. There's a richness to it. Understand that. But let's not imitate. I'm not Jewish. And it doesn't make me any closer to pretend to be Jewish. But I am a son of God, and I am a temple of the living God. And so if I begin to understand the depth of what David was searching for, that's the heart of what everyone here now is. It's not one temple, one tent on a mountain, Jerusalem. It is millions of tents and temples all around this world with the presence and glory of God, and it should be changing this world dramatically. We've got to get back to that point. Amen? So that's where we're studying. So bow your heads with me. Hallelujah. Jesus, bring a fresh, fresh understanding and anointing to what our worship does to your heart. That we have 
a heart. For you are seeking those who will worship you in spirit and in truth. You're seeking those, Lord God, who know you in a greater way than even David did. David had no understanding of the reality of the Godhead, as we do. Father God, I thank you for that. So, Father, would you begin to show us the revelation we have and minister to us. And let us worship with hearts on fire for Jesus. Amen and amen. I'm going to take this next. We've, we've got time here to settle into a time of worship now. And I'm asking you to stretch yourself. This isn't about whether you like the song or uh, if it's in your key or not. If you can't sing it, don't sing it. But please, get into a place where you're seating Christ on your heart as throne, on, your, on the throne of your heart. Let's worship. Seek Him. Listen to His voice. If you want to come to the altar, come to the altar. But let's worship God now. Take the time to get into a dimension of worship that you haven't been in in a while. Stand with me. You could stay seated either way you want to go. You want to kneel at the altar, please. But let's worship together.
in this place. Sweet, sweet Lord, have your way. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. We're going to sing that again as we sing that verse again. If you need a touch from God, come forward at this time. A miracle can happen at this place. We're expecting the open presence of God to bring fruitfulness into your body, into your mind, into your soul. Just like when the full presence of God was in Israel, it united the kingdom. Some of you have family issues. Some of you have issues that have separations. God wants to restore relationships, bring them back together, praying for your marriage, for your families, for your children. God wants to bring unity. He commands the blessing when you exalt Him. And so we just want to minister... And as we're singing that, let the anointing of the Lord minister over you. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to lay hands on you as a tangible representation of that Shekinah glory of God coming upon you and your temple so that the blessing of God will flow. The blood has taken care of the issues. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you. And God wants to pour out now the grace and favor that comes with the cross and restore. Would you exalt him? As we sing this, everybody exalt him and bless him. And as we continue, would you just press into the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands up tonight. Lord, there's freedom in this place. Just sing this chorus one last time. Hallelujah. Freedom is in this place. Yes, Lord. Have mercy and grace. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, we thank you for this anointing that you've put on us, this glory that abides in us, Lord God, the Spirit of God that is active and present and moving. May we 